Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now the following question is rhetorical. It is for consideration. It is not for answer, okay? How many who are present today would say, I want to live a more Christ-like life on a daily basis? You say, but preacher, I've been living a Christ-like life. I didn't say that. I said a more Christ-like life on a daily basis. So I'm going to ask another question. Here's the test. What is your spiritual potential? Do you know what your spiritual potential is? Now, with reference to Christian service, I believe we each can have a different potential. By that, I just mean it's all based on maybe the abilities that God has given us. You know, some have the ability to play an instrument. Some have the ability to sing with beautiful voices. Some have, and I guess this is my only real ability, is to just be able to talk. But you know, and somebody I figured would say amen to that. But anyway, we all have different abilities that God has given us, and it will depend on what we do with those abilities. You know, someone who has a beautiful voice and the ability to sing, if they don't ever use it for the Lord, they're not living up to their spiritual potential as far as that ability is concerned. And then it depends on the opportunities that we have or maybe the opportunities that we make to use those abilities that God has given us to glorify and to praise Him and in His service. But when it comes to Christian character, folks, I believe we all have the same potential. When it comes to things that we do, it may be different. But when it comes to character, we all have the same potential. And you know what that potential is? It is Christ-likeness. If you are saved... If you have repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And if the Holy Spirit indwells you, and he does if you're saved, then you have the potential for Christ's likeness in your life. It is the potential of producing what I call a full harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. Now you go back and you read in this fifth chapter of Galatians, Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't say fruits, he said fruit. That's singular in the language. And these are all aspects, I believe, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. And he says, against such there is no law. And we all have the ability to have those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when we start thinking about these qualities, somebody might say, well, you know, that's beyond me. I'm I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved, but I I can't really do it. Not so. You have the spiritual potential of living a Christ-like life. Each and every person who is here today who knows Christ as Savior has the potential for being a fruitful child of God. Let's do a little personal assessment. Do you like personal assessments? We're going to ask ourselves some questions. And here I'm going to encourage you to be honest with yourself. If you won't be honest with anybody else, be honest with yourself and be attentive to the answer of the Holy Spirit. First question, what percentage of my spiritual potential am I now reaching? Number two, how would I measure my fruitfulness? Number three, can I look at my life and honestly say that in my life I am moving toward Christ's likeness? I didn't say you were there. The Apostle Paul said, I'd want to be there. I'm not there yet. And, you know, I sort of feel like if Paul wasn't there yet, Jim isn't there yet, right? 
But am I moving toward Christ's likeness in my life? See, these are very important because they mark our Christian growth in all of these areas, and we need to grow as children of God. I have pastored people who were saved for 30 or 40 years, and they were still babes in Christ. Do you ever know anybody like that? God expects us to grow. If a baby doesn't grow up, we know there's something wrong with that baby. Well, if a baby Christian, if a baby child of God doesn't grow up, there's something wrong with that baby. And so with that potential for fruitfulness, with that potential of growing into Christ's likeness, we come to what Paul said about our fruitfulness, and we read in these two verses what the Word of God has to tell us about that. And there's only two points to this message this morning, by the way. But if we're going to live up to our spiritual potential, we must first of all, look at what verse 24 says, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. That's the first thing we need to do. In fact, Paul says in these verses, if you're a child of God, you've crucified the flesh. And you ought to crucify the flesh. One of the problems with the lives of many believers is that so many who are saved, or at least who profess to be saved, have never considered the flesh crucified. Well, what you're talking about, preacher, the flesh. Well, the flesh refers to the old man. The flesh refers to the old nature. The flesh refers to that part of us that is in this physical body that has a lot of desires that are sinful and apart from the will of God and the Word of God. Something has to be done with the flesh if we're to ever live in the fruit and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our human lives. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Not one of the qualities that are mentioned in verse 22, not one of the qualities mentioned in that verse is native to the flesh. Do you realize that? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, and against such there is no law. But look at what he says. Here's what's in our flesh. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now you may say, I don't do any of that, but the word of God says that's, this is in you. This is in our flesh. This is a potential that we have if we as children of God don't live according to the Spirit, okay? And look at it. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. He said, that's what's in your flesh, child of God. That's why the flesh has to be crucified. None of that is in any way related to what he names as the fruit of the Spirit. And so we live in a body that has two natures as children of God. We have that saved nature that wants to serve God, wants to do what God wants us to do. And then we have that fleshly nature which says, well, you know, it won't hurt if I do this or this or this. The old man, the old nature does not naturally love God and love others. Do you realize that? We may be fond of God, we may be fond of others in the flesh, but it does not naturally have an agape, self-sacrificing type of love for God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10, for if when, listen to what it says, for if when we were enemies, he's talking about the lost man right there, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul said there was a time when you and I are enemies to God. That's in our flesh. That's in our old man. That's in our old nature. He says in Romans chapter 8 verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, where it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
Carnal mind talked about the unsaved mind. Carnal mind talked about the mind of somebody who doesn't know Christ as Savior. And enmity is hostility. The carnal mind, the natural mind is hostility or opposition or reason for opposition against God. And so he said that is what is in us even though we know Christ as Savior. Our spirits are saved. Our spirits are set apart to God. When we die, we're going to go and be with God. A person who has repented toward God and put their faith in Christ is saved, they're sealed, they're secure. They may get far away from God. They may live a worldly life. You know, I can't help but think of David. David called a man after God's own heart in the Word of God. He's a great servant of God, king of Israel. And yet, what did David do? David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he committed premeditated murder when he had her husband Uriah sent to the front lines and told the army, pull back from him in the midst of the hottest battle. You can't get much more premeditated than that. But here was a man who, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. Again, our spirits are saved, but our flesh isn't. You say, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'll tell you what, my flesh isn't saved. Did you ever think something you thought, I shouldn't have thought that? It may have been a bit of anger against someone or it may have been a bad attitude or something like that. And you think, well, I shouldn't have thought that. Well, that's just that old mind, that old man, that carnal mind working on us. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, here's what we're told. The entire being of this flesh is corrupt. Listen to what it says. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If you wonder why our world and our nation is in the shape that it's in today. Just go to that verse. And that describes people who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. You say, preacher, tell them, you know, preach it, preacher. Yeah, but that's what's in our flesh also. We're made up of mind, body, and spirit. As I said, the spirit's saved. We're working on the body and we're working on the mind. And one day when we're with the Lord, it will be. But in contrast to what Romans tells us in Romans 3, what Romans tells us in chapter 5 and also in chapter 8, in contrast to that, God has given us the capacity to love him and to love others when we came to know Christ as Savior. Listen to 1 John chapter 4. We ought to be familiar with these verses. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. We have the capacity to love God. And we have the capacity to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The flesh does not naturally find joy in God, folks. The flesh delights in sin. You know, that's why it's so difficult to get people to come to church faithfully. You realize, I'm talking about saved people. Because the flesh delights in sin. People, even though they may know Christ as Savior, are sometimes dominated by the flesh. And when they're dominated by the flesh, the flesh doesn't enjoy coming and hearing a message from the Word of God. And so I'll just skip out next Sunday or whenever I decide to skip out. And so that's why sometimes people just don't want to come to church. The flesh is not naturally meek. The flesh is not naturally faithful. The flesh is not naturally temperate. 
The flesh will, as I said a moment ago, by its very nature be opposite of all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul affirms that this has been taken care of. They that are Christ's have done what? Have crucified the flesh. What are you talking about have crucified the flesh? In fact, what he's saying is that we who are saved ought to treat the flesh the way the world treated Jesus. Right? When he says we've crucified the flesh. I don't know about you, but my flesh gets in my way a whole lot of the time. And my mind gets in my way a whole lot of the time. That carnal part of my mind. So what do we do? Well, what was Paul's testimony? What did Paul do? I sort of look at Paul almost as someone to emulate. A Christ, certainly. But for just a human being who's been saved, who's living for the Lord, Paul's a real good example. Well, what was his testimony? It's found in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 20 where he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what Paul said? When I came to know Christ as Savior, my flesh died just like Jesus died there on that cross. I counted it dead. I was crucified with Christ. I'm living and I'm going to live for him. Remember he said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I'd be better off going to be with the Lord, but the Lord needs me here. And so I'm going to serve him while I'm here. But he said, as long as I live, I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going to consider my flesh to have been crucified with Christ. And by the way, that word crucified is past tense. And in the Greek past tense is point action. It just means it happened sometime in the past. It ain't coming back, folks. I crucified my flesh. And that's to be accomplished by everybody who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, how is it done? From the crucifixion of Jesus, we can gain an insight into how this is done. We can get an insight into what is involved. First of all, you know, when they decided to crucify Jesus, what was the first thing they did? They reached a judgment. Even the very people who a week before had, as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the people who had said, hail him, hail him. A week later, what are they shouting? Nail him to the cross, crucify him. Their minds had been changed. They made a judgment in its own blind way. The world concluded that Jesus wasn't worthy to live. They said, he needs to be crucified. Well, by the same token, a believer needs to come to that point of judgment about the old nature. That old me needs to go somewhere else. That old me needs to be taken care of. That old me needs to be out of the way. My flesh will never be able to please God as long as I'm depending upon my flesh. In my flesh, you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now, folks, look, this, this, there's nothing good here. There's nothing good in this. That's what the Word of God says. And with my flesh I will not be able to please God. And so what we need to say is, therefore I'll not let the flesh control my life. You know one reason lost people are not saved? They have never reached that judgment about the flesh. And you know another reason most people not say it's because of ego, because of pride. Because to come to know Christ the Savior, here's what you got to do. You got to admit I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God and I can't do anything to earn my salvation. And Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe and I'm going to trust him alone and I'm just going to totally depend upon him. 
If you don't do that, you'll not be saved. And some people just can't get beyond their own egos and their own desires of wanting to have a part in their salvation. Jesus did it all. And I believe one of the reasons some who are saved are not truly committed to Christ is the same reason. Uh, you know, my flesh likes to do some things. I'm going to let it do those things. No, we need to be committed to Christ. And then after making the judgment, what did the world do? They crucified him. They hung him on the cross. They renounced Jesus once and for all. And the reference to the saved crucifying the flesh here in verse 24, you know what that's talking about? That's saying, I will not let it have dominion over me. That's what it means to crucify the flesh. When we come to know Christ as Savior, we give ourselves over to a new master. We let someone else control our lives and we decide that I'm going to let Jesus Christ determine my life and I'm going to obey him. Listen to Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let sin reign. Neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. Now get this. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, God forbid. Don't even think such a thing. Know ye not, and here's the key to all of this, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Who is my master? The one that I obey. As a child of God, if I obey the flesh, guess what? The flesh is having mastery over me. He said, don't let sin reign in your body. As a child of God, if I say I want to do what the Lord wants me to do, I want to live for Christ, I want him to have reign over me, then he is my master. He says in verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And that ought to be the desire of every child of God. I want to be a servant of God's righteousness in my life. Amen. The old man's renounced. The believer says, I'm going to let the flesh die to any claim that it has over me, and I'm not going to let it rule in my life. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. He said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That word mortify means to count them as dead. And I've used an illustration for that verse before. And we've had many, many pets, and some, most of them. We've got one now, but the others that we've had have died. And when that happened, we no longer put out the water bowl. We no longer put out the food bowl. Why? Because there was no life in them. And when we count the flesh dead, we don't. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That's what that's talking about. While this renunciation of the flesh happened at the point of salvation in our spirit, it does have an ongoing application in our lives. Because you see, the flesh doesn't give up. Satan sees to that. I said, my flesh gets in my way. And everybody said amen to that. Well... You know why? Because Satan can't get our souls, and so he wants to get our lives. And Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I want to serve God, but my flesh says, nah, you know, it'd be nice just to lay up in bed today and not get up for church. I want to go over here and witness, but hey, wait a minute, what might they say and we can think of all of the reasons not to do the things or excuses rather all of the excuses not to do the things that God would have us to do 
You know what that is? That's the flesh working on us. James chapter 1, James said, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's a sense in which we as God's people must affirm our judgment our renunciation of the flesh, and what does he say? And the affections and the lusts. Affections talks about a passion, an impulse, a disposition. A lust talks about a craving and desires. I guarantee you, your flesh wants to do things that God says don't do. So does mine. And these are pictured as reaching out to find expressions of gratification in our flesh. Lusts and affections. If we're ever to live up to our spiritual potential, the renunciation of the flesh and the judgment of the flesh must take place in our lives. Don't allow the flesh to dominate in our lives. By the way, is it possible to be a carnal Christian? Well, I think the terms contradict one another. In fact, I know the terms contradict one another. What is a Christian? What does Christian mean? It means like Christ. Jesus Christ was not carnal. Carnal has the idea of being fleshly. It has the idea of being worldly. It has the idea of being like the rest of the world. In other words, we have to decide whether I want to be Christ-like. And it's a decision. I want to be Christ-like or I want to be carnal. And Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. So first of all, we count the flesh as dead. We crucify the flesh. And then what does he say right quickly in verse 25? Rely upon the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, well, to do what? Walk in the Spirit. Now, the great assumption by every believer is this, that he lives by the Spirit, and that is true. Jesus said, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. It is the Spirit that makes us alive. It is the Holy Spirit residing in us that gives us life. So verse 25 says, very literally, the word if here is not iffy, it's not a question, child of God. Since you have life by the Holy Spirit, guess what? You ought to walk under his control. You ought to walk in the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit comes into a believer at the point of salvation. He is God's seal upon us to mark us as God's. We're his special property. And Jesus Christ indwells believers through the Spirit. So, if we have life that way, what does the word walk mean? We talked about it before, but this is a different word. It's talking about our daily walk. It's talking about our conduct, and it has the idea of walking in a straight line. Since you have life by the Spirit, you ought to walk in a straight line. You ought to keep in step. You ought to conduct yourself rightly. That's what Paul's saying to these believers in Galatia and what God is saying through the Apostle Paul to us today. There's a certain way that we should live. I said this is not the usual word for walk, which really usually means to tread about. But this one has the idea of how we're supposed to walk. Our daily conduct. Not just on Sunday, okay? Isn't it easy to be a quote-unquote Christian on Sunday? I mean, just look around. We all look so good. It's real easy to look Christian on Sunday, but we're talking about every day. Our daily walk is to be under the rule and under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Our decisions, our language, the things that occupy us. And so the exhortation, 
temptation here is since you have life, divine life in your being, conduct yourself under the guidance and the impulses and the energy of that divine life. Live for Christ. And here we have the free will of the believer. You know, God didn't make robots. And we can decide to be saved or not to be saved. We've decided to accept Christ as Savior. And even as a child of God, we can make a decision. I want to live for Christ or I don't want to live for Christ. I don't understand somebody who says they're saved and doesn't want to live for Christ. I don't understand somebody who says they're saved and they want to live a worldly life. But here we have presented our free will and our responsibility in that will to live to the highest level of Christian life that is possible. I mentioned the third chapter of Philippians, what Paul said there just a few moments ago. Just turn over there for a second and look at what he says. Just begin with, uh, oh, verse 10. Paul's desire that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He's talking about Jesus here, wanting to know Jesus and all of these things being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I want to be like Jesus. That's my desire. That's my goal for my life. I want people to see Jesus in me. That's the way I want to live. And then he said, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm not just like Christ yet, but that's my desire to be there. And that ought to be the desire of each and every child of God. How does all of this work experientially in my life or in the life of a child of God? The Holy Spirit will put in our lives a desire for Christ-likeness. Based on what the Word of God says, if you're saved, you have a desire to be like Christ. If you're saved, you have a desire to see other people come to know Christ as Savior. But now listen, what happens sometimes is we never act on that desire. I believe there are people who would love to be witnesses and love to see people saved, but they just never, you know, get around to it as far as serving Christ in that way. There are people that want to be like Jesus, but they never get around to it in their lives. But the desire is there. The Holy Spirit is putting that desire there in their lives. And when we respond to that desire, he gives us the power to do it. You will not live like Christ just depending on your flesh. But if you will depend on the Holy Spirit, you can live like Christ. You can live a Christ-like life, a more Christ-like life. Have you ever tried to witness somebody depending on your flesh? I don't want any answers there. (laughs) I've tried to do it. I've told the church about, at other times, about my one convert. He's just as lost today as he was the day I went to talk to him. And he told me he was saved because his life has proved that out. But that's my, I went to him in the power of my flesh. I'm going to, and I grilled that boy for two hours until he said he was saved. Don't ever do that. Give your witness, give your testimony. Leave the word of God with them and pray for them. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. We can't do, that's not our job to convict people of their lost condition. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. What are we called to do? We're called to be witnesses. 
What does a witness, what does a witness do? I've been a witness in some court cases before. What does a witness do? He tells what he knows to be true. He tells what he has seen. He tells what he has experienced. That's all a witness does. It's up to the prosecutor to come up with a conviction. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to convict hearts. If we will give our testimony, if we will give our witness, and then we will live according to that witness and according to that testimony, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit can use that to convict people of their need to be saved. He gives us the power. He gives us the power to live for Christ. He gives us the power to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a different type of example, but what about this one? You ever run across anybody that's just a real source of irritation? If you've had a teenager, well, never mind. Okay. And yet we're to be helpful and loving and kind to people, and I've got to put up with somebody that's in irritation? How do I do that, folks? I tell you what, it's, for the, it's because of the Holy Spirit and our dependence upon Him sometimes that we can just put up with other people and we can deal with other people, but it's not depending upon ourselves. He will help us to be loving and kind and long-suffering and good. I mean, have you ever thought this? Lord, give me strength. Again, if you're a parent, you know what we're talking about, right? And the Spirit will produce a desire in our lives to be faithful to be meek, to be self-controlled, and again, to give us that desire to want to bring others to Jesus. That's what it means. When we give in to these leadership and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we do that, then we're on a road to becoming more Christ-like. When we do that, we're walking in the Spirit. When we're following His leadership, we're living in His control day by day. And the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, says this, Be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but do what? Be filled. And that word filled has the idea of being controlled. Be filled, be controlled by the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit talks about walking in the sphere of His control. Not out here to the edge of God's desire, God's will. Not out here at the edge of the Spirit's control, but right in the center of His control and leading of our lives. I'm going to close with a few questions this morning. How much of your spiritual potential is being expressed in your life as a child of God today? Am I everything that God would have me to be? Am I living up to the potential that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there evidence of Jesus Christ in your life? You say, what do you mean? Well, test it this way. If your closest associates could speak... People who know you best, would they say that they have seen evidences of Jesus Christ in your life? Who knows us best? Most of the time it's people that see us at home. It's our families. You know, it's one thing to be a quote-unquote Christian again at church or maybe in front of other people. It's real easy. You know how Christian people get in front of the preacher? I played golf one day this one particular case I had to be a witness in and I found out the attorney played golf and he found out I played golf and we went and played golf together and one of our church members said you gonna play golf with him I said man he curses every other word I'm gonna play golf with him you know he didn't use a single curse word on the golf course he knew I was a preacher people can act real holy and real Christian in front of preachers but what about at home what about the people who know you best if they were to be asked would they say yes I've seen evidences of Jesus and of Christ's likeness in their life. 
Or would they have to say, well, they're primarily dominated by the world and the things that they think and the things that they do and the desires that they have? If you suspect they would deny seeing Christ's likeness in your life, it calls for some radical action. We affirm the old man needs to die. The old man needs to be crucified. I need to put the old man away, and right now I'm going to start following the direction of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to depend upon him to serve Christ and to follow him. Only when we do those things can the goal of Christ's likeness become a reality in our lives. This has been sort of a different message for me and a different approach for me this morning. But folks, what our world, what our nation, what this city needs to see right now is not just people who profess to be Christians. They need to see people who are truly Christian in their everyday living. I think the word Christian, the term Christian is way overused today. Just about anybody that goes to church says, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that'll be determined by the way you live. Why were the first believers, those early believers called Christians? Because they resembled Jesus Christ so much that they were being made fun of. They said, oh, you're just a bunch of little Christ. You're just a bunch of little Christians. Well, amen, I'll take that. I've told you, I do not call myself a Christian. The world will make that determination. People who watch my life will make that determination. You know what I am? I'm a child of God who's doing his best to live for the Lord. Amen. And depending upon him. That's what I am. But we need in this church, I can't speak for any other church in this town, but in this church we need people who will go out on a daily basis and they will let, we sing that song, let others see Jesus in you, that will let others see Jesus Christ in them. That's the way. We're to influence the world.